morning, and please stand and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. We'll begin here. Um, Our message this morning will be Romans 6, verses 1 through 14. It's somewhat difficult jumping in the book of Romans in the middle, but I'm assuming that we have some context to this, and, and you'll see that as we move on here. So I'm going to read Romans 6, verses 1 through 14. starting in verse 1 of Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing." So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make it obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness." For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is God's word. Please be seated. So a couple questions. Can we really be dead to sin if we still sin? Can we really be alive in Christ and dead in our sin? As I started looking at Romans 6, I learned how difficult some of these questions can be, and I also learned that some of our church fathers avoided teaching this text, which rightly caused me some hesitation. But since redeeming grace is made up of believers in Christ that still sin, I realized it would benefit us to spend some time here. Now, like I said, we're jumping in the middle of Romans, dealing with half of a chapter. We obviously won't flush out every thought and truth found here, but we will leave here with a better understanding of where we are at in Christ and where Christ wants us to be. So as we begin, I want you to think of the last wedding that you attended, maybe even your own, and the vows that were exchanged by the bride and the groom. In most weddings, the vows are intense, and at one level really hard, if not impossible, to live up to completely. One thing I must remind my wife of, and her me, is that we are to love in sickness 
not just health. Now, I'm sure that my being sick makes it harder for my wife to love and take care of me, but that's still her commitment and mine. With challenges like this, we are not to shy away from our vows and commitments, but to give all that we have and ask for God's help. This is even true in things like our hobbies. Those who want to play a sport often want to achieve some number or gain some progress. I can't tell you how many times I've approached a golf course with some number in mind I want to shoot, and all but maybe one, that number never comes. And yet I still keep making tee times. If we are going to pursue our spouse and our hobbies with, with diligence, how much more should we be pursuing Christ and what he's called us to? We don't just give up, right? <clears throat> well, let's dig into our text, and we're going to look at the first four questions found in verses 1 through 3, and this will be our outline for this morning. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 one more time. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? These questions will be our outline this morning. Let's look at the first question found in verse 1. It asks this, it asks this What shall we say then? Now, this question is the start of a new chapter, and we need to look back to chapter 5 to gain some context. The ESV Study Bible has a a helpful note that summarizes the end of chapter 5, and here's what it says. The main theme of chapter 5 continues to be the future hope of those who have trusted in Christ. Adam brought sin and death into the world, but those who have believed in Christ are full of hope. For Christ has reversed the consequences of Adam's sin and has given his own life and righteousness to secure their eternal glory. Let's read the last two verses of chapter 5. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So knowing the overview of chapter 5, how are we to answer the question of chapter 6, verse 1? What shall we say then? Well, our proper response should be, praise God for Christ Jesus, for saving us from the sin of our father Adam and our own sin, and giving us his righteousness. And what we're going to see is that this praise should lead to something. Let's look at our second question now in Romans 6, verse 1, which says this, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And as silly as this question sounds to us, we need to understand that back in Romans chapter 5, a verse that we just read says this, But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So two different statements here. In chapter 5, we can see how the more we sin, the more God's grace, we see more of God's grace. But does that mean, as chapter 6 states, that we are to intentionally keep on sinning? That grace may abound. Well, if we understand the seriousness of God's holiness and the wickedness of our sin, then we have to say no, just like the text does. We also need to understand where the question's coming from. Some in this time assume that if Jesus' life 
death, burial, and resurrection brought forgiveness of sins, well, then we should continue to sin to see more fully the grace of God. That's just not how it works, right? Well, hopefully we would all say this thinking is ridiculous and unbiblical. But we've probably also all met a person with this way of thinking. They'll say something like this, Well, what does it matter if I sin? God forgives me, right? This backwards thinking is the exact opposite of what our response should be from the teaching of chapter 5. It's true, and Scripture confirms that the more a person has been forgiven by God, the more that person loves God. Think of the sinful woman in Luke 6. Scripture says this at the, at the end of the story. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loves much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The implication here is that he who has been forgiven much loves much. The better they, and they better understand God's mercy and grace. Our response to what Christ has done should be praise and worship that leads to righteous living. A theological term for this is sanctification, which means becoming more Christ-like in our lives. When a person comes to faith in Christ, they turn from their old sinful lifestyle and now live their new life by faith in the Son of God. Their new life is a turning from a person's old sinful lifestyle to new life in Christ. This is my favorite verse, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. With our new life, God also in time will change our desires. We won't want to sin against God as we used to. We'll have a concern for that. Our desires for sin will slowly change, some faster than others. God gives us a new heart which has new desires, and we will continue to, he will continue to work in us until the day of glory. The person who honestly thinks that God's grace should lead to more sin is wrong. It's probably not in the faith, or at least needs to be discipled. They misunderstand what grace is in the first place. The response we have to our question The question is, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2 says what? By no means. You could also translate it, may it never take place. The response in Romans was a response of Jewish opposition against the gospel. You probably, like me, have heard this argument from someone trying to justify their sin. And they need to be corrected, right? We are to not sin. Christ saved us from our sin. It also may be a way to talk to somebody about the gospel. Right? That's not the response of the Christian gospel. A proper response to God's grace should lead to praise and a less sinning, or you could say sinlessness. Which leads to our third question found in verse 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? When God calls a man to himself, he calls him out of darkness into light. He calls him out of death into life. A simple picture of this can be seen while sitting in a dark room with all the lights off. When the lights get turned on in the room, what happens to the darkness? It vanishes, right? You cannot have darkness in the same room as you have light. 
When the light shines, the darkness goes away. Our third question is asking us, if we have died to sin in Christ, then why do we still sin? In the dark room analogy, how can we have darkness in a room that has light? Well, the short answer is we can't, and yet we can. You see, you can have a room that has different variations of light. Think of an old apartment or older house that, without the modern-day can lights or fixtures. You would often have a lamp in the corner of a room that shines across the entire room, but yet underneath, like let's say an end table, the light's going to be different, right? Bright on one side, duller on the other. The light shines across the room, yet there are parts of the room that still have, you could say, darkness or areas where the light is not as bright. I also like thinking of shadows. Think of a person walking down a street on a sunny day. You can have the hottest, brightest day of the year, yet when the sun's shining on you from the south, this is the south, I think, what do you have on the north? You have a shadow, right? In this world, even the brightest sunny day will always have some darkness. So let's flush this out theologically. Earlier in Romans, we learn that all are guilty of sin before a holy God, that no one seeks after God without him first doing a work calling that person to himself. Once God calls a person to himself in regeneration, which means being made a new person or new life, if you've heard that, then this person is now able to place their faith in God and repent of their sin. This work is first done by God through the work of the Holy Spirit, Then faith and repentance comes, but only after new life has begun. In God saving an individual, he saves them from his wrath. He saves them from eternity in hell. He saves them from their own sin. As followers of Christ, we can know that Christ Jesus, God's God's wrath, we can know that in Christ Jesus, God's wrath is satisfied Our sins are forgiven, and we are not guilty before our holy God. Here are two great truths found in Romans 5.1 and Romans 8.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can hope and long for the return of Christ to take us home and escape the fires of hell, and we can trust in the continual Holy Spirit to change our hearts from longing after sin to longing after the triune God and his righteousness. So back to our question, how can we who have died to sin in Christ still live in it? Just as Christ physically died on the cross, so too our old self has died with Christ. We are no longer the same person. Our life before Christ is different than our life now in Christ. Christ cannot go back to his life before the cross, and neither can we go back to our life before Christ saved us. Look at verse 5 of Romans chapter 6. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
Then verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Christ's death freed us from the power of sin so that we are no longer enslaved to it. Our old sinful flesh is crucified along with Christ's body. The great exchange is that Christ takes our sin and gives us his righteousness, which leads to something, right? Righteousness is not like a good luck charm that you put in your pocket and pull it out when you need it. Righteousness is like a flood that rushes in and washes everything in its path. Christ's righteousness brings power for us to change and to do what God's called us to do. Let me just read off some truths found in our passage this morning. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified. The body of sin might be brought to nothing that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Those are truths that are real for us today. The power of sin has been defeated on the cross, and we now have the righteousness of Christ. We are looking and longing, though, for a time when this defeat will be fully realized, which will ultimately be in the life to come. When Christ returns to rule and reign, the power of sin is gone once and for all, and we will never sin again. This is our hope. This is what it means in verse 7. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Church, we have been set free from sin on the cross, and we are right now being set free from sin once for all. John MacArthur asked this question, can justification truly exist apart from sanctification? Can a person receiving a new life continue in his old way of living? The answer has to be no. Old, this is not John MacArthur anymore. Old Justin has been killed. He is no more. New Justin is here, and he is being made into the image of Christ. But he is not fully Christ-like yet. So what's the difference in the here and now, one might ask? Where is the comfort now to fight sin? Or a different question. It's great that when Christ, return, when Christ returns, I will no longer sin. But what can help me today, and how is today different than when I was not in Christ? Well, that brings us to our fourth question found in verse 3. It says this, do you, not, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The picture of baptism is used here to show death and new life. Here, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Remember, baptism is not just a picture of death, but also new life. Brenda and I use hand motions with our kids like any good parent should to show what baptism is. She's supposed to do this. So what we do is we raise up our finger to show Christ's life, and we have it fall to show Christ's death, and we have it rise again to show new life, right? A simple picture of what baptism is. Read verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So back to our question. What is the difference for believers in the here and now? Our being justified is done by Christ, and we are now in a place where God sees us as if we had never sinned and obeyed the Father perfectly like the Son has done. We are just if we had never sinned. Our being sanctified is the process where we are made into the image of Christ and his righteousness. This process is us becoming more holy. It's our new resurrection life that comes with the power to not sin. And like our justification, this is all done by the power of Christ. Ephesians 1 tells us the same power that rose Christ from the grave is the same power that works in us who believe. This is what is new with the new covenant, the power to obey God and to resist sin. God has given us his spirit and his word. Upon our new life in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and brings the power to not sin and to actually obey God. Let's read a portion of Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Listen to the language of our passage when speaking about new life. We now have the power to walk in newness of life. In verse 8, we have died with Christ. We believe that we will also live with him. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So what does this resurrection power look like? Well, to see, let's start with Christ. Christ was raised, as verse 4 tells us, by the glory of God. We are raised to new life by the glory of God, or you could say, by the majesty of God, for the purpose of God, to praise and honor God. Our resurrection life is to mirror Christ's resurrection life. We are no longer under the power of sin, and sin will no longer have dominion over us, so that we too can give glory to God as Christ did. Yet... Christ's resurrection was completed on the third day in the tomb. And ours, you could say, is in the process of being completed each and every day as we walk closer to the day when Christ returns. 
This is back, or this is to our famous line that we've all heard, the already and not yet. We are resurrected in Christ, and yet we are still being resurrected in Christ. Remember, that is what, that's why we define justification and sanctification. One was completed on the cross fully, and one is being completed each and every day. We are, by the glory of God, being made holy, and in God's eyes, already holy. Our resurrection lives, or you can just say our Christian lives, should mirror Christ's life. We should do things Christ does. Our lives should look like what God calls us to. We should be obeying God's will for our lives through Christ's work and the indwelling work of the Spirit. But we will still sin until the day of glory. And that is not a license to go sin. Remember, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What's the text say? By no means. We don't get a pass on our sin. This is the reality of where we're at, though. Think of baptism. Don't yell at me for this. We are being raised from the grave into new life. So back to our finger analogy. It's kind of like our resurrection lives are partially raised, maybe half in and half out. Christ was raised fully, right? We are in the process of being raised. We have the power to walk in newness of life, and yet sin remains. But it is not the same as it was before, amen? We are no longer enslaved to sin. Let's read a portion out of 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. God is light, and he calls us to the light. When we walk in the light where Christ is, we have fellowship, and the blood of Christ cleanses us. And if we say we don't have sin, we lie. This passage in 1 John is helpful. It reaffirms that those in Christ have fellowship and those in Christ still sin. Yet this sinning is not the same. Back in our junior high ministry days, we used to show this by having a a junior higher come up and we would grab their hand. We'd kind of play a tug of war back and forth. And we'd picture that as a struggle of sin. I pull, they pull. I pull, they pull. Where before Christ, right, sin had complete control. It's like me pulling the arm of a child. There's no control they have. And we praise God that sin is now a struggle. There's a great verse in Proverbs that says this. A righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. This is not perfection, but progress in the battle of sin. Our lives of, Christ, our lives of Christians are not to be 
are to be marked with godly living. We are called to go and sin no more. When we do sin, we are to confess and repent of our sin. And those who are living resurrection lives in Christ, we are not under the power of sin like we were. But the battle with our flesh and our new spirit-filled life will be there until the day Christ returns or calls us home. Just like the room with the lamp in the old living room, some areas of the womb will still have some darkness remaining. God will, by the power of the Spirit, expose the darkness through time, and then we are to turn from it. God's light shines on us so that we can see our sin. He shows us this so we can turn from it. Christ, through prayer, the renewing of our mind, the power of the Spirit, the Word of God, and even the local church, God will sanctify His people. Now, with some theology as our foundation, I I want to get to some of the nuts and bolts or commands that we see here towards the end. We have these truths that we were given, but what are now what are we called to do? Obviously, Christ has done everything, yet we're still called to do things. Let's start at verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So often we forget who we are. Just as, just as Christ died, so too our old self has died. We are not the same. Sin does not have power over us. We are to consider ourselves dead to sin. But not just dead to sin, but also alive in Christ. If a person wants to become healthier, they don't just stop eating bad food. They do that, but they also start eating good food, right? I once won a weight loss competition, and the only thing I did was stop eating at the gas station for breakfast. And as much as a bad habit as that was, I truly don't think about eating corn dogs anymore for breakfast. But I do eat breakfast, right? I just stopped what I was doing. And I won some money. For us to consider ourselves dead to sin, we are to reckon or calculate how Christ has saved us. He has given us a new heart and new desires. Things will change. Through time, this considering becomes easier. Christian, consider your old self dead to sin and consider your new life in Christ. Second command we have is in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. We cannot treat sin like a toy that we bring out and play with it when we want. Now this may sound ridiculous to some of you, and praise God it does. But there's some of us that have dealt with sins that have taken, overtaken every part of us. And it may not sound as crazy as you think. We can sometimes feel entitled to sin once we've battled with it for some time. We've been clean for so long so we can give in to it once in a while. The person in this situation may not say it like that, but deep down they may feel that. The Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We are to fight sin radically. For us to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies means we are to be radical in dealing with sin. 
John Owen's famous line says this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Jesus' words are clear. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Why so serious? Because sin leads to death. For it's better for us to lose one member than our whole body to go into hell. Another quote from a Ligonier article. Our aim must always be to kill sin so that sin does not kill us. The Spirit will help us. He helps us by making us alert to sin, by making us grieve over sin, by applying the sin-killing work of Christ at the cross to us, by fighting the good fight of faith, and by enabling us to put the sword through sin, which is the Spirit's work. Christian, by the power of Christ, be radical in dealing with sin. Our final command found in verse 13, tells us, Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but your members to God as instruments of righteousness. If our old man used to use his hand, if our old, if our old man used to use his hands to steal, then he's now called to use them to do honest work, to earn a living and share the fruits of his labor. If we used to use our words to tear people down, We use them now to build people up, right? There's a change in how the Lord uses us. We often say here at Redeeming Grace that as Christ's disciples, disciples, our entire life, our head, our heart, our hands are given over to Christ to be used how he calls us. And this will and should affect your time, your talents, and your treasure in joy for what Christ has done. These are good things. So Christian, by the power of Christ, be an instrument of righteousness. Our text ends at verse 14 with a promise that we should hold near and dear to our hearts. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Christ's work is complete Sin is paid for. The power over us is destroyed. We are not under the condemnation of the law hearing you're not good enough. We don't continually take our sacrifices to pay for our sins, but we are under the grace of the cross because of the love of the Father, the sacrifice of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. So as we close, I want to address three types of individuals this morning. doesn't mean that these truths are different, but but they may affect these individuals differently. As we... So the first person I want to address is a Christian who has been struggling with sin and sees no end in sight. Romans 6 brings much comfort and truth that you need to meditate on. The promise that sin will have no dominion over you is true. And yet, Romans 7 is also true. It says this, For I do not the good I want, but the evil I do, 
I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is who will deliver you. That's a promise. Jesus is who has delivered you and who will deliver you, plain and simple. So you keep on battling, you keep on confessing, and you keep on repenting. Jesus' work is final and it will be realized in your life. Be radical in dealing with sin. Be open and honest with others about your sin. Do not fight on your own, but use the army that God has given you. The army is this church. One of the best things the Lord's used in my life to fight sin is that every elders meeting, I have to be open and honest about my sin with the men at that table. And praise the Lord, a lot of times I'm confessing victories. But once in a while, I'm confessing sin. And these brothers hold me accountable and they comfort me. Do not fight this battle alone. Lean on the church that God has given you. Be honest with your friends, your spouse, your parents. Immerse yourself in the word. Serve the church with the gifts God has given you. Don't run from service to God, but run to service of God. What better place for you to be than in God's place with God's people? Do all of this and wait for the Spirit to change you. If you have not confessed your sin to another person and you're battling with it, then do that today. We don't do that to be forgiven. Do that to be honest, have people pray for us. The next individual I want to address is a person who by the work of the Lord has overcame the deep sins that tend to consume us. You're not perfect, we know, but you are walking in repentance, praise God. Remember and trust in the truth of this passage And don't forget that sin is right behind you. I think of it as a door. I think of it like this door. That sin is right there. Hear 1 Corinthians 10. Therefore, lest anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Preach the gospel to yourself. Take precautions. Ask others how they're doing in their fight with sin and rely on the Spirit so when temptation comes, and it will come, you are ready to overcome it. Think of your life that's to come. Now finally, I want to think of the person that's not moved by what Romans 6 tells us, and this is, a little difficult, we had a coworker pass away on Friday. Uh, I didn't know him that well. I don't know his background, although I don't think he was religious. But he died. First thing in the morning. We, didn't, we found out a couple hours later. God's word is true. Romans 1 says that everyone knows God exists and that you are without excuse. 
Romans is clear that no one is righteous, no one is good in God's eyes, but we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of what God has called us to do. Because of this, God's wrath is waiting. His just wrath is is waiting. He is your creator, and his justice needs to be reconciled. You will pay for your sins, and you do that while in hell. I don't say that to be mean. The reality of death is fresh on my heart. You will pay for your sins in hell if you don't repent. God's answer for this problem is Christ. He is the only other way to pay for your sins. My prayer is that God opens your eyes, that you consider these truths, and that you turn to Christ so that your sins can be forgiven. Then you start your new life in Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are our creator. You're our sustainer. You provide our salvation through your son. We pray that you would continue to work in us new resurrection lives. You would help us realize that we have been forgiven and set free of sin. Work in and through us righteousness that we would be made into the image of your son. Forgive us when we continue to sin, even though we know that Christ has set us free. Change our hearts and our desires. Draw us to yourself. Give us, Father, a steadfast hope of what is to come. And may you write your life-changing word on our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.